Hey, I'm Veronica Dagger, and this is the Wall Street Journal Secrets of Wealthy Women, where women share how they tackle career, money, and the world. Today, we're speaking to Jane Schwartzberg, a managing director at UBS Wealth Management and one of Wall Street's foremost experts on women and money. For a long time, women weren't sought after as clients by Wall Street firms. But today, women hold an estimated 40% of global wealth, and Wall Street is waking up. Jane is one of the women who's been leading the charge on that change. Despite battling illness, she's risen through the ranks at her firm and has helped UBS grow their female client base. Jane knows from personal experience how life can throw you curveballs and make money messy. Back in March, before the pandemic shut down New York City, she joined us in studio and told us all about it. Jane, welcome to Secrets. Thank you. So you're pretty unique. There still are only a handful of women in senior roles at the big banks. Tell us a little bit about your career trajectory. How did you get there? I have had a very funky career trajectory. And, you know, it's funny. I often hear women who have very consistent movement and growth and I really wonder what would that feel like. And when I got out of college, I worked on Wall Street. I was at a firm doing corporate finance and mergers and acquisitions. I went to business school and then took a completely different path and worked for for quite a few years in the startup world. Really fantastic, exciting, stressful. One day you feel like you're on top of things. The next you're convinced you're out of business. And then, actually, I had a medical challenge, and I essentially dropped out of the workforce for many years, really to deal with my medical issues and also to take care of kids, because during that time, I was fortunate enough to get pregnant. And then when I was looking to come back to work, friends introduced me to people at UBS, and I was so completely impressed with the people I met and the mission of our firm, and I joined almost 10 years ago, and now I'm running this business that really is about catering to certain segments of clients. When you started working at UBS, when did you realize that the company and also Wall Street in general was missing out by not reaching out to women? It was pretty clear very early on, I'll go all the way back to when I joined Wall Street in 1990, that wasn't so much about reaching out to female clients, but it was very clear that Wall Street was not a place welcoming to women. It was uncomfortable. It was acceptable to make So many comments that thankfully today would be considered absurd to hear as you're walking around the office. And then later, when I started working at UBS many years later, it was clear that women are coming into enormous amounts of wealth and that there was a challenge or a problem in meaningfully talking about what women are most interested in. So, for example, it used to be that the wealth management talk was always about the stock market or performance. And what we have found is that women and people, but especially women, really want to have meaningful conversations about 
what purpose their money serves, not how a certain stock performed. How did you get UBS to start tailoring their approach to women? I have to be honest, I would love to take credit for getting them to think about this. But in fact, as a firm, our leaders already decided that they needed to take a look at it and then gave me the privilege of leading the charge. So what we did was we really went to many, many women. We didn't say, we know, or certainly not, I know. We interviewed thousands and thousands of women, women who are in long-term partnerships, women who are single, women who are in non-traditional arrangements, women who are in opposite-sex marriages, same-sex marriages. We went to women and we said, what should be our approach? What do we need to talk about, provide, and support you on? So how is this focus on women changing the business? It's changing it in so many ways, and especially it has changed really the conversation around money. So if you talk to women, and again, I'm speaking in generalizations, but our research shows they are less interested in what I would call the typical wealth management or the typical broker conversation of what to invest in, how stocks are doing, what are hot tips or stocks. And really, the focus on women has helped to drive us as a firm towards the conversation around how do you look at money? What do you need it to do for you? And if you divide your time frame of your life into short term, what do you need for liquidity? Medium term, what do you need to do and be and how are you taking care of yourself for longevity? And then what do you want your legacy to be? And money is a big part of that. So I think that really making sure that we are focusing on women is actually elevating the firm as a whole. So financial advisors say one reason women need to take an active role in their finances is that they need to make sure they're prepared in case of an emergency. And that happened to you at an early age. You were diagnosed with cancer, and you've spoken publicly about your battle with cancer. Would you share a bit about your story? Yes, of course. So I'm now 51 years old. The first time I was diagnosed with breast cancer was when I was 31 years old, and I had been married about maybe 12 or 14 weeks. And at that time... Prior to having children and also with the first diagnosis, it was very difficult, but there was a lot of hope attached to being cured. Fast forward 10 years, and at that point, after having children, and I was now at UBS, I was diagnosed with stage 4 advanced metastatic breast cancer. So essentially, at that point, the cancer was manageable, or the hope was that I would be able to manage it with treatment, with medication, with monitoring. But I lost the hope of being in that camp of being someone who was eligible for a cure. And I learned firsthand that it's so important 
to have your house in order. So as soon as I found out that I was stage four and in an incurable situation, my husband and I really rallied. We ran when I was out of medical treatment in the hospitals. We met with a lawyer. We made sure that our will, my will in particular, but we did it for both my husband and me, that our wills were in order, that things were clear, that I had power of attorney for my husband, that my living will, so if there are decisions that have to be made, that there is clarity about what I would want. We made sure all those things were clear. And, you know, it's interesting. The illness very much forced my husband and me to have those conversations, which are are brutal. I mean, nobody relishes having those kinds of conversations. But I would really say, I, I speak from experience when I say, I wish I had done it before I had the diagnosis. And so I'm in a bit of a unique position that I can so so personally speak and say, participate financially, get all these things in order, make sure that you actually have peace of mind for if and when a catastrophe strikes. And by the way, catastrophe maybe sounds dramatic, but we know eight out of 10 women will end up at some long point in their lives, probably for well over 10 years, being in charge of finances on their own. We know that. So if we know that that's going to happen, I strongly advise people to not do what I did, which was wait for an awful diagnosis and take care of all those things when you are physically exhausted, emotionally terrified, you know, really have the conversation and participate financially and get everything in order long before you have to. How did this experience shape the way you speak with the firm's female clients? Of course, it's never about me and my experience, but it shaped me in that I do think I have a particular experience, very depth of experience. And as I speak to our clients and our potential clients, I listen from the angle of a person who has been through this and who has really understood at the deepest level how important it is for we as women to know where we stand on these things, how important it is, and really how knowing where we stand is one of the ways that we can actually, in the greatest capacity, impact the world. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Jane explains the misconceptions some women have about money and how they can take greater ownership of their finances. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
So UBS has done a lot of research into how women deal with money and to help them overcome their challenges, and you oversee that research. What surprised you so far? My biggest wow in the research that we've done has to do with millennials. And we found very clearly that in most opposite-sex marriages, women are abdicating or giving up decision-making on long-term financial topics. I kind of assumed that given how active millennials are in all the necessary conversations around equality, around workplace, um, what's tolerable, what's not, essentially it's almost in the age of Me Too and Time's Up, it's almost a given that we have an incredible awareness about the importance of these topics. Yet, it turns out from our research, our Own Your Worth research, that millennials are giving up financial long-term control more than any generation before them. What do you think's behind that? I think there's a combination of not understanding that wealth and money is actually very central to power. It's the engine, regardless of what industry you want to be in, regardless of what your aspirations are professionally or with your family. Really, money and wealth are are so critically important to be able to to accomplish whatever it is you want. So somehow there's a disconnection. And the other thing is, I think there might be a generally accepted thought, which I'll say right now is wrong, that these issues have been addressed and that there is equality of financial participation. And that's not true. Some women may be fearful about taking charge of their finances. What's the first step women should take if they want to get more involved with their financial life? I happily will answer, but I'll say I agree completely and actually think that there's a lot of shame around the topic of money, especially because it feels like a different language. And I think that a lot of people, particularly women, are not inclined to say, I have no idea what you're talking about, or where do I begin, or I may be a really well-educated, successful woman, and I don't want to let people know that I'm not comfortable taking a first step financially. It almost feels like it gets worse and worse as time goes on. So I think there's a lot of embarrassment and shame around it. What I would say to take the first step is understand that talking about money is something we all should be doing. So just get your mind around that even though it has been taboo, maybe we've been raised in households where you don't talk about money, that in fact, moving towards the money conversation is moving towards power and moving towards, as I said, the engine of getting things done. So I think the framework is really the first step. Another step is even if you think you're not in a position yet, as you asked, Veronica, where you might not have tremendous wealth or you think that it's not even worth thinking about these topics yet, 
We know that women suffer because they don't start early. They don't start putting money in their 401ks. They don't start early with understanding the power of interest. So find a place, find an advisor, open an account, get information, start looking into what are the important things that you need to do early in your career, early in life, before kids, during kids. Just have a conversation. Talk to your friends. Blow the taboo up. Say to your friends, what are you doing? What are you doing when you have some money to save? Do you invest? Are you asking someone? Who do you get guidance for? And then, of course, the last thing is, for people who, who are in the position that they're open to it, I really think working with a financial advisor is the best way to compensate for any lack of knowledge. And you have to find the right one. You have to find one that understands you, that speaks to you in a way that you get. But a financial advisor really is a critical piece of the puzzle. I think that idea of socializing amongst your friends and asking them what they're doing, what are the uh, best advice that they've received, how are they going about their investments is a really smart strategy, socializing that. Because we do that with so many other things. We do that with, oh, what's the best restaurant you've heard of? Or where where should I go on vacation? So why not do that with your finances too? Right. And we don't hesitate to say... Have, who do you go to for a mammogram? Right. Or I, I have to go on Thursday for a colonoscopy. No one blinks at this point when you talk about that. Uh-huh. But as soon as you get to money, it's a little bit of whispering or maybe you're uncomfortable. Let's, let's blow that out of the water. What's the best advice you were ever given about your finances? The best advice I was ever given about my finances Probably, you know, my parents are immigrants. They came to this country from Cuba. They are very conservative in terms of spending. And I would say the advice that they gave me early, early on, which essentially is save all you can, never spend what you don't have, you know, be very responsible around money, I think that has served me incredibly well and was the best advice I ever got. Thank you so much for joining us, Jane. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like to hear more stories of inspiring women, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite audio provider. If you'd like us, subscribe, share us on social media, and give us a review. Our producer is Trinae Nori. Our executive producer is Kateri Yoakum. Additional help from personal finance editor, Beret Lamb. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.